0: This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets.
1: Good morning, everybody. Today, it is April 25th. Got Louis Navalier on um, as our podcast guest today, and we're just going to be going through a series of Questions regarding macroeconomic clients, uh, the climate, and he is the chairman and founder of Nowlier and Associates. Uh, so yeah, let's let's start from the top, Louis. Um, I mean, last week on the 19th, the IMF stated that the global global economic recovery is going to be slowing, obviously due to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, we now expect global GDP to rise, you know, 3.6% in 2022 which is a downgrade from January's projection of 4.4%. Um, and and then additionally, you know, we've had these Chinese lockdowns that have the potential to create additional supply constraints. So I guess overall, what are your general thoughts on the macroeconomic environment this year?
2: Well, um, a great question. Um, obviously, Europe is teetering on a recession. They're a little bit too close to Ukraine. So the... Uh, Food crunch is going to mess them up um, because Ukraine is the breadbasket of the world. Uh, they they grow, um, I think, 20% of the world's corn, and Russia and Ukraine, 30% of the world's wheat, and um, and I think they're 80% of the sunflower oil. So all that's disrupted. Uh, you know, the automotive industry in Europe is disrupted. There were 17 wiring harness plants in western Ukraine uh, making wiring harnesses for Audi. uh Porsche Volkswagen BMW they literally had to close plants because they had they didn't have the buyers. They're um, trying to redirect that and, and some of that's still operating in Ukraine but it's, it's on, they're in duress. And then um, China's lockdown is very severe. Obviously it's now spread to Beijing. Uh, so we'll see how long this lasts. Um, you know in the uh, China and uh, plants for Apple and, and Tesla, they're trying to restart them but the workers have to sleep at the factory you know so it's uh easier said than done and then um finally the u.s is an oasis right now for a couple reasons one is our dollar is extremely strong okay we're 20 year high against the yen uh we're looking much better against the um euro in fact, uh, there was an IMF uh, press uh, conference with our, our Fed chairman, uh, Jerome Powell, and uh, the ECB president, uh, Christine Lagarde. And Powell, you know, came off, you know, uh, fine. Cause he said, yeah, I'm gonna raise rates a half a percent probably next two meetings. But uh, Christine Lagarde was very testy. So we got to wait to see the data. And, you know, there's still negative rates in Europe. So um, this just strengthens the dollar. Um, you know, our treasury yields on the 10-year, tried to hit uh, 3%. They're, they're actually falling now. Um, so that's a good sign. But the the I think what makes the U.S. amazing is our consumers are very strong. The uh, University of Michigan um, Consumer Sentiment Index uh, for March was off the charts. And we we were, we were wondering, why is everybody so damn happy? And uh, we, we thought it must have been spring, must have been the weather. Uh, but if you look at, like, the IMS, ISM services uh, report, You know, all 17 industries surveyed are up. Uh, It's very strong. So we are definitely in a consumer-led economic recovery. Consumers are getting out and about. So I think we're going to be able to skirt a um, a recession. And uh, the Fed's trying to engineer a soft landing. That's always easier said than done. But uh, I think we'll be okay.
1: And and right now, obviously, earnings season is definitely underway. You know, we've seen from, apart from J.P. Morgan, bank earnings have been better than expected that seems to be true across a variety of sectors what are your thoughts on what's been reported on and in what sectors are you bullish or maybe surprised by
2: well i'm glad you mentioned banks i am an ex-bank analyst which is why you never see them in my portfolios but the main thing uh, people should be aware with banks is they don't like the flat yield curve and they definitely don't like inverted curves so that puts stress on the banks but um uh, jamie diamond of jp morgan uh pointed out that their consumer default rate on credit cards is less than is under one and a half percent. So as long as the banks keep uh, credit open, consumers will keep spending. That's the most important thing I learned. And, um, and consumer balance sheets by and large are in pretty good shape. And some of it's appreciation in their homes. I think the average person last year made more money in their home appreciation than in their job. So that was interesting. And, um, I think the most amazing thing about this earnings announcement season is I thought earnings would be decelerating right now because of a more difficult year-over-year comparisons. But after we picked up all these energy and commodity stocks, um, our earnings are still accelerating. So I'm looking forward to this earnings announcement season. It kind of kicks off for me with Google tomorrow. But the um, I've only had one steel stock announced, and it popped uh, 13% the day its earnings came out. So I'm looking forward to the earnings this season, but I'm loaded in energy, fertilizer, um, shipping, uh, and food stocks. And I have other companies that are profiting from all the supply chain bottlenecks like some of the semiconductors. So I think it's going to be great for me, but it's going to be every stock for itself. You know, Netflix was very interesting. That's not one of my stocks, but that was the third quarter in the row they beat. But in Netflix' case, they just care about sales and new subscribers. And... Um, and the fact that the company says they're going to lose up to 2 million subscribers, about 1% of their base in the second quarter, freaked everybody out. So, uh, you know, uh, Meta, which is Facebook, is going to announce, uh, they were, uh, previous quarter, they were losing market share of their competitors. So we'll see if they, how they hold up. But yeah, a couple of the fang stocks um, uh, have hurt, hurt, hurt that whole area, have hurt the NASDAQ 100. But uh, there should be some good components in there, like Google. Um, So we'll see. And um, I think one of the weakest ones right now is NVIDIA. NVIDIA will will have good earnings. They they make all the good uh, graphics and AI chips.
1: Yeah, no, Netflix was definitely one of the more surprising drops, I've seen, in quite some time. And I guess, you know, the overarching question on everyone's mind is, right now, we've got a Fed that's attempting to lower inflation by... Four percentage points without, you know, obviously causing a recession. Uh, I mean, likewise, when we're looking at federal spending between 2020 and 21, that rose by, from 21% of GDP to 31% of GDP. Um, so, I mean, ultimately how difficult will it be for for both Congress and the Federal Reserve to taper off monetary and fiscal stimulus, and at the same time avoid, you know, a double dip?
2: Our Fed is doing this thing called modern monetary theory. It was pioneered in Europe by a guy named Mario Draghi when he was the head of the European Central Bank. It's basically unlimited money printing. And um, that's what caused the negative rates in Europe. And um, Mario Draghi is a popular fellow. He's now prime minister of Italy. And um, and they put Christine Lagarde in charge of the ECB, and she's just a crisis lady. She used to run the IMF, so she used to deal with Argentina, other crises, but um, the, um, we started it during the pandemic and uh, we can't go back now. So if they tax all of us at a hundred percent, our deficit is still gonna be about 12 trillion. Uh, so they, we can't tax our way out of whatever conundrum we've got ourselves into. Um, but the only reason the dollar's strong is relative to the rest of the world, Japan, Europe, uh, we're we're not as bad and of course in the united states we have vast natural resources um so you could argue that debt would be against uh, all the oil on the ground or uh, you know all our all our incredible resources because we have such a big country and um but i think um uh the as far as the congressional uh mandate it will be basically to uh We'll have the midterm elections, we'll have a leadership shift, and then it might save Biden's presidency if he taxed to the center. I don't know why he wouldn't after the midterms. Um, you have to be kind of stubborn and, to do that. But uh, you know, it was interesting. They, um, when he got in, he of course did the federal drilling ban, and he just un- undid that because they were uh, appealing in the federal judge's decision uh, to, that his drilling ban was unlawful. And uh, they finally went ahead, you know, with uh, adding more leases in nine States and, but they did increase the, the royalty to the government first time since the 1920s. Um, but um, I think that's the only, um, I mean, I, I think we're gonna have to, obviously we're gonna wanna be more energy independent and we're, we're just gonna have to, you know, be, be more pro-American uh, already. They're on, on trying to onshore a lot of the chip development uh, the chips are made mostly in Taiwan. So they're going to try to onshore more of that. Um, that's, uh, but I do think uh, I think there'll be more hope after the midterms. I'm not trying to be political, but you know, it, there's a chance government might actually function and work properly.
1: Yeah, I. So I mean, I from the chips I remember is the, the chips bill. I don't know where that stands right now, but I, that was definitely um, part of it.
2: Yeah, Intel is supposed to make a lot of uh, chips in Iowa, of all places, and um, they'll be making them for other companies like NVIDIA, and you know, there they, they, they will be a contract manufacturer for other other uh, chip companies. Um, you know, I, I'm headed to Arizona soon, and in Gilbert, uh, Taiwan Semi's got a big plant there, so that's another area where they're doing the chips. Um, you got to go where there's water. You know, ships need a lot of water. So I think in Arizona they recycle the water. Um, that's been one of the Taiwan problems because Taiwan was in a drought. They get most of their water from um, typhoons, you know, hurricanes in America. So um, so it's kind of odd when you live in Taiwan, you, you root for the typhoon to hit your island. So.
1: so one thing that seems to be this renewed interest in is I-bonds. They're currently offering 7.12% returns through April. We might see a bump in May. Uh, Can we kind of get into some of the nuances of I-bonds and and when they might make sense for investors?
2: Well, I think your average person who retires, and let's face it, a lot of people did retire during the pandemic because a lot of jobs didn't come back, needs to have certainty. And if I-bonds provide that certainty, that's wonderful, okay? Uh, because a lot of other fixed income instruments uh, give them a negative yield after taxes uh, or inflation so but i think people should be aware that the i-bond yields are going to drop as um inflation cools off it we it, it, clearly inflation peaked in march it's going to still be elevated for the next few months the next big drop in inflation is probably september october um the reason that 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 would occur is There's more people in the Northern hemisphere than Southern hemisphere. So demand just cools off in the fall and crude oil demand drops. So uh, we're getting some crude oil relief right now because of the China lockdown. We'll get more in September, October. So people just have to realize the yields are gonna back down again.
1: And then, you know, there's, there's definitely been some analysis on impending stagflation, the potential it has for a lost decade. Do you, do you think we are currently seeing conditions of stagflation and, and what's that ultimately mean for a you know, traditional 60 to 40 portfolio?
2: Well, we, we did that in February, um, February retail sales, didn't keep pace with inflation. I think they revised that number. Um, but that's what you want to see. You want to see our retail sales outpacing inflation, but you now it's, it's definitely, there's some signs of stagflation everywhere. Um, as far as the traditional 60, 40 portfolio, I think that's gotten to be a very, very controversial because, um, obviously most bond investors did very poorly last year, uh, in this year. Um, so, um, um, a lot of people don't realize a lot of these uh, portfolio allocations for age are automated. It's a computer. It's not a human. And, um, so I don't really recommend those kind of portfolios. We, uh, we think dividend growth is a lot better than um, uh, uh, bond yield. Uh, and just so you know, bonds are our biggest business. We used to bundle triple B corporate bonds and sell them through banks. And uh, we would do these passive bond ladders that were called um packaging unit investment trusts. And um, the reason we did that, I felt so strongly about it, is if you buy a bond in a ETF or a mutual fund, and that bond gets, the, the that bond uh, product gets hit with redemptions, uh, the spreads can kill you, okay? And and that's called transaction risk. So we invented a way to buy bonds without transaction risk and it was just passive bond letters were doing, we were getting higher yields. And um, anyway, um, so, um, but the bond yields got so low, we had to switch to dividend growth stocks and and, uh, we like stocks that double their dividends every six, seven years. This year, those those stocks are the Oasis, the best performing in the market. If you break the S&P down this year, it's the top hundred stocks with the highest dividend yield and the top hundred that are most domestic. Uh, the reason that's important is see, the strong dollar is in, is hurting uh, the multinational's profits. So somebody like a McDonald's has to have a big write down because you know, 9% of their business was Russia. Uh, even JP Morgan had a big write down from Russia. and um, uh, but other companies are going to have um, slower growth because they're getting paid in eroding foreign currencies or those economies overseas aren't as strong as they were in America uh, were before. You know, half the S&P sales are uh, outside of America. So um, you want to be more domestic for sure. And uh, high yield is good. And then, of course, if you can get a guaranteed return like you can with annuities, that's even better. Yeah.
1: You just kind of mentioned the need to kind of stay domestic. Um I, I guess I am interesting about emerging markets right now just because, you know, they, they, we're looking at some cheap valuations and if you have some inflation that can really help commodity-driven export economies, uh, but, you know, at the same time with, with the crisis in, in Ukraine and, and other supply chain issues, that obviously, you know, increases the risk of, of famine and everything else. So I guess what, what are your thoughts on emerging markets in the, in the short term?
2: Well, Brazil is one of the better ones because uh, they raise rates faster than everybody else that firmed up their currency. Uh, Petrobras is one of the Brazilian stocks we recommended, but Brazil is looking a lot better. I think when you look at, uh, and of course, you got to realize if you buy a commodity stock, no matter where it is, the commodities are traded in dollars, so you'll have less currency risk. We're having a hard time with the lithium stocks because none of them are making er- earnings right now. I know uh, Elon Musk said that he thinks they make ninety percent profits, but unfortunately, that's not flowing down on the lithium stocks. Nickel's um, exploded, of course, because Russia was a big nickel supplier. Um, unfortunately, there's some Canadian companies that are big in nickel. Uh, the real conundrum has been cobalt. It's very hard to get cobalt. even they got little kids crawling in hundred foot holes in the Congo to mine it, and it's you know, some, some of the kids, they have cave-ins and things, it's pretty tragic. I know Hunter Biden obviously invests in cobalt mining in Congo, but you know, the EV revolution has been stalled by high uh, lithium nickel and cobalt prices. So uh, hopefully they'll work this out, but um, it's pretty bad when Tesla builds a new plant in um, Austin that they had to shrink the battery uh, pack on their new Model Ys. Because um, they've got a, if they made the battery pack big, they 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 could sell fewer cars. So they, they're going to sell more cars with smaller packs and bigger packs because they can't get everything. And the same thing's true for GM. You know, they made less than 500 EVs in the first quarter. Ford made fewer Machis. Essentially, Mercedes has in Alabama has a new uh, battery plant right next to their fa- plant there, but they can't get the raw materials. So they're just assembling. Um, the packs that go in the cars but the, the that plan is designed for battery manufacturing they just can't source the raw materials right now so um china controls all this And it'll be interesting if how all this is going to happen now of course you can diversify away from lithium-ion batteries and go to iron phosphate that's what rivian did the truck company that's what tesla does in shanghai and and that counts for all of tesla's profits by the way plus some tax credits but um because uh, Tesla doesn't make money on U.S. cars, so that's why they don't pay U.S. taxes. But um, it'll be interesting to see if um, we can, uh, if and when the U.S. goes to iron phosphate batteries. But they're heavier. They, I mean, the good news is they charge faster, and the cars don't catch on fire. Bad news: they're heavier, and they don't go as far. So, so it's catch twenty two.
1: And I guess uh, to kind of close this out, you no, know, we're we're talking about some policy paralysis. Uh, that's definitely occurred in DC. There has been a bipartisan bill named the Lifetime Income for Employees Act, uh, which is hoping to build on the 2019 Secure Act, ultimately be letting 401 plans include annuities as a default investment option. I mean, what are your thoughts on this proposal? And and do you think annuities would receive inflows that would normally go to other sources of fixed income as a result?
2: I think if I think if the fixed annuities provide the yield that other people can't get, they should be in there because they provide value. Okay, Um, I I, I did this with my 99 year old mom who passed not that long ago. But, you know, her her fully vested annuity provided a higher yield than she'd get the bank. So we kept the annuity. And uh, I think it's important that 401ks and other pensions have access to that because they can't get the yield elsewhere.
1: Well. Thanks. appreciate your time, Louie, for all our listeners. And we'll be dropping this sometime this week. So thanks for the likes and subscribes and and the viewership. And uh, we're out.
0: The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.